Welcome to Back to Excited, episode 36. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. Fooleman, I'm mad at you. You're making me record this at 9.30 in the morning <laughs> on a Sunday. I have a social event, <sighs> which is, Disgusting. you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I feel the same way about it because I'm like not really a big advocate of doing things. but uh, Just in general. You, you know, just verbs. Not a fan. But uh, nonetheless, I have a social thing related to my engagement. I actually managed to avoid having an engagement party for like seven months Yeah. after getting engaged, but I have finally lost the battle, so it's going to happen. I feel like that happens a lot. Like, you lost the battle re- regarding getting a cat. You lost the battle getting <laughs> regarding the engagement party. You're, you're not doing too hot in these battles. All I do is sort of like hold the line for a little bit and then eventually fold. <laughs> it's a value Like, I'm just a, a delaying method. So, yep. All right, so um, we have a lot of Leafs content to to get to today. Last week we were we were pretty negative, I think, about the Leafs, probably overly so. Everything feels kind of gloomy after two losses, uh, mm-hmm. especially when you're we're we're spoiled as Leafs fans now, where two losses can legitimately be considered like a a bad stretch as opposed to like any random two weeks of the regular season or any random week of the regular season, like it was for the last ten years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so. The Leafs played the Jets in a home-and-home series over this week on Wednesday and on Saturday, and they won both games, which is nice because the Jets are, in theory, a good team, and the Leafs yeah. beat them at hockey twice, which is good. Yeah, that was a plus. Uh, I have to admit, I don't know whether we would manage our new and shiny, optimistic tone if the Leafs had lost that game because yeah. there's a very big cloud hanging over the Leafs now. Yeah, and really, like... I think the Leafs played pretty well over these last two games. I don't think they dominated the Jets by any means, but I think like on balance, they were comfortably the better team in the first one. And yesterday's game was fairly even from everything I've seen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, it's a good sign. I mean, we've kind of run out of ways to say that the Leafs are what they are. You know, they are a great offensive team, but a bit above average at carrying play, but really good at getting to the good spots of the ice. They're terrible defensively. They can shoot. They can goaltend. They have good special teams. It's clear that's enough for the regular season to get them into the playoffs, assuming health, and we'll get into that shortly. It's just not clear whether that's good enough to beat good teams in the postseason, right? And yeah. unfortunately, that's they're going to have to go through good teams given the division. And I don't think we're really going to get a satisfying answer to that until it happens, right? There's no real way to know. I don't think the Leafs are going to change dramatically from here on out. Um, so yeah, it's like we're kind of in this weird holding pattern with uh, with the Leafs right now. Yeah, I, I mean that's it. Anyway, you slice it, taking two of two, and I would say deservedly so. Yeah, against the Jets is a very positive sign. Well, that's I something mean, to legit feel good about. To be fair, the Jets are a far more advanced team than the Maple Leafs. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if uh, if y'all heard this on the CBC broadcast last night, but Jim Hewson who is widely beloved in Leafland for his clear enthusiasm for the Toronto Maple Leafs franchise, uh, described the Jets as clearly the more advanced team at one point in the third period. And I was, like, incredulous at, like, that phraseology in terms of, like, more advanced? Meaning what? Yeah, like, I don't don't get it. The Jets are a good team, but... yeah. Like so, at that point they were up two nothing, and hilariously, mm-hmm. Nazem Kadri scored like literally four seconds after he said that to make it two one. But the Leafs have a basically the same record, slightly better over the course of the season. The Jets have not played particularly well this year. The Leafs had literally just beat them in <laughs> yeah. Winnipeg, like, like several nights like, earlier. Yeah, so I mean, I, I it's just a weird statement, and I'm not one of those Leafs fans who are like, oh man, Houston hates the Leafs. I don't think he hates the Leafs. I just like he's not a he's not Joe Bowen. He's not biased towards the Leafs the way a home commentator normally is, and that has yeah. to do with the fact that he does national broadcasts, even mm-hmm. though the national broadcast is always the Leafs. But I think Houston is just legitimately bad, and now that Paul Romanuk is gone, it's become more clear that he's legitimately bad. So here's the thing about Jim Houston, is that for a long time I've thought that people gave him too hard a time. He does not bring almost any emotion the process he does not get you that excited like at his best bob cole would get you really excited that you were watching a playoff game like Mm -hmm. he would just light up the room and even as he was 
you know, declining a bit and he was starting to forget names and stuff like that. People still loved him for that, whereas Houston just doesn't have that in his skill set. Houston will describe the play, I think, with a passable level of confidence. And, you know, he keeps moving. And again, Romanuk kind of throws him into sharp relief if you compare them to Romanuk, the worst play-by-play man in Toronto. But Houston just seems to say things because they fit this particular narrative. And I hate accusing people of that. But, like, the narrative was, well, the Jets made the third round of the playoffs, therefore they're more advanced than the Leafs. End yeah. of story. It, 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 That's all there is to it because like there's the nothing else to support that. Paint-by-numbers, surface-level analysis of whatever's happening. And, like, if the Leafs were up to nothing, they would say, oh, the Leafs are clearly far more advanced than the Jets, which is also not true. No. The, the two teams are in remarkably similar positions. Like, that's kind of the interesting thing is that they mirror each other in some ways. But the reality is, it sounds like he was kind of waiting to say this. And independent of the fact that the Leafs have, I think, definitively been a better team this season. Or that they were the better team in two consecutive games. Although, that's the other thing, is there's such a thing as, like, narrativizing to the scoreboard. Right. Like, the team that is winning is the better team. Duh. Is kind of the attitude on this. Whereas, we know in hockey, sometimes you can play well and not get the results. I thought the Leafs were actually quite good last night in the first period, notwithstanding they didn't come out ahead at the end of it. I thought the Leafs were the better team last night. I thought they were definitely better on Wednesday. It's like, you know, we deserve better results. There's also a little thing about Jimmy Houston that doesn't really come up here so much, but that I just want to throw in while we're trapped off him. Mm-hmm. He has this extremely memorable habit of saying the full names of particular players almost every time he references them. Wait, really? I haven't noticed this. Yeah, until you notice it, it like it'll float right by, and once you start noticing it, you will not be able to stop. So right. I'm inflicting my curse on all of our listeners, for which I sort of apologize. <laughs> but any game where Thomas Tatar is featured, Jim Houston says his full name almost every time. With this, like, almost faux Shakespearean kind of dramatic emphasis. Like, and the pass comes to Thomas Tatar. And it's a good name, to be fair. It is. Well, he loves that alliteration. And I sympathize. He does it, like, every time. And it's like, why are you doing this? And, and it's just, like, the more I think about it, the more it becomes, like, a nails on the chalkboard thing. Where it's like, you could just call him Tatar. Like you do with every other player on those surnames. But, no. So... That's my little gripe about Jim Houston that probably no one else but me has really noticed. Do you know what that reminds me of? So I used to play like the FIFA video games a lot. And mm-hmm. this isn't so much the case now, but in the older uh, iterations, like they would record obviously the names of the players, but, and they record it in like certain tones, right? So like if a guy's mm-hmm. about to shoot, they, may, they might say it in a very excited way. But for some players, they only recorded like one or two of them, right? <laughs> so there's like situations where it's like really mundane, but they'll still <laughs> use like the excited name. Uh, so it's like, you know, just the ball passing in the midfield and they scream out, like, Fabregas! Um, so, yeah. Um, I kind of want them to do that, actually. Sort of like, and Zaitsev goes up the middle with a stretch pass. And sort of like, a weird bifurcated emotion. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, yeah, all in all, good couple games for the Leafs. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, nice, it's nice to see them bounce back. And the Jets have not been a world beater this season in terms of their play. I know there's a lot of kind of consternation in their fan base about, you know, they were expected to take a, a leap forward, you know, even further and really cement themselves as a true contender if they hadn't already. Um, and their play has been a bit uneven. Mm-hmm. But I should say, including by us. Like, yeah, it wasn't yeah, just them yeah. being crazy. We thought they were a top five team. Yeah. Um, but even so, it's good to see the Leafs beat a team that still is rather good right and like the the forward talent they have is is absolutely uh amazing Mm -hmm. they really are one of the few forward lineups that can legitimately stand toe-to-toe with the Leafs yeah and not give much back on talent uh especially when we don't have William Nylander that makes it closer I think because Nylander is almost like mirror Nick the Ehlers yeah eerily similar players Mm -hmm. and uh if we face them in the next however long, we might not have Austin Matthews either. And that is a little scary. Um, so 
let's let's talk about Matthews. That's obviously the elephant in the room for the Leafs right now. He is their, our best player, our most important player besides Freddie. Yeah, so missing him for an extended period of time would be terrifying. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but it sounds like that's what it's going to be. Uh, Jacob Truba hit Austin Matthews side on with a shoulder to shoulder hit. Now look, we're all kind of pissed at Jacob Truba because he injured our star. Uh, it was a clean hit. Oh yeah, it was a clean hit. Plain and simple. Like there's absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, it's just unfortunate it hit him the wrong way. He seemed to know it immediately. Yeah. Like you could tell him, and he seemed like frustrated because I think. He, like, he knows what a separated shoulder feels like. And now Mike Babcock has told us this is not the same shoulder that he injured in the past. Mm-hmm. He actually didn't know whether it was right or left. This time it was pretty clear on the left side. But anyway, he looked uh, quite pained. The immediate response was he's not going to play on Monday. And we're going to find out more on Monday what it is. Friedman is already saying they know it's going to be a while. That sounds like they strongly suspect that it's a separated shoulder. This sucks. Yeah. I mean, there's no getting around it. Matthews was, you know, notwithstanding, he was cooling off a little bit. He was on a hot leg pretty start of the season. He's one of the most exciting players. We are probably now starting to get worried about his long-term health because he's been injured a bunch now. Uh can't do much more than that than worry about it, unfortunately, right now. The Leafs can survive a month without Austin Matthews, even without William Nylander, although, gosh, wouldn't this be a terrific time for him to come back? Yeah. But it hurts. There's no getting around it. This is this is painful. Yeah. I mean, Friedman's saying he's going to be out a while. A while is incredibly vague. It's like one mm. of those statements. It's like, well, like, what, what the hell do you mean by that? Right? Like, if you were actually having a conversation with someone... And they said, oh, yeah, it's going to be a while for before he comes back. Isn't your immediate follow-up how long is a while? Like, it always annoys me that they're so vague about that. Cause they, yeah, they, I mean, they carry... he doesn't know, but, yeah. Well, because if it was a source and someone told him, does he not press for, like, any sort of timeline? I'm sure he does, yeah. right? And maybe they just don't give it to him. But, like, I don't – It's I almost don't see the value in saying it's going to be a while because a while could be three months. It could be three weeks. I think all that it is is that he's saying he's not going to be back this week. Yeah. Like, there's no way we're going to see him in a couple of games. And they may have intimated to him that it's going to be X number of weeks or even months. And he doesn't want to run with that because he's not sure and it's still up in the air. Mm-hmm. We're expecting to find out Monday, and all we can do is really hope. Yeah. The news isn't as bad as we worry it's going to be, but, like, it, it doesn't sound right. Uh, I guess if you're looking for a consolation, one, uh, this is the time in the le- the season for it to happen if it has to happen, which sucks. Yeah. But, like, he has plenty of time to come back and hopefully get it back in shape for the playoffs. And we do also still have arguably two first-line centers left. Yeah, the Leafs are, is... are very well insulated to yeah. this sort of injury, perhaps more so than any other team in the league, which doesn't mean yeah. it doesn't hurt, because it does, but... We can stomach it better than most teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's about the size of it. So we used to have the best third line center in the NHL for my money. And now we're about to have a still very excellent one too. But the, our bottom six is has not been scoring very much. And it kind of feels like, well, that's going to get worse <laughs> like yeah as you said this would be a really nice time for for Nylander to come back yeah just so. to give I mean just so that if nothing else you can at least pair each center with a strong winger like a, a dynamic elite winger yeah uh I mean yeah I, I don't know what else to say about that at this point other than there was a spate of optimism from what was leaking out from the discussions throughout the middle of this week, there was a lot of chatter about we're getting close. Uh, a long-term deal is not off the table. There's been some product- productive discussions. And by Saturday night in the intermission chatter, the reporters were back to saying that they're kind of at an impasse. So at this point, I would be reading tea leaves. But yeah. For the sake of trying to read tea leaves a little bit, it sounds like somebody moved some of the way in the negotiation, but not all the way. And now the movement has stopped. That's the best I can read on it. And if that's the case, well, then 
we're still not there. Yeah, it's 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 a super frustrating situation. Yeah. One last thing, I just while we're on the topic of contract, before we cycle back into our lineup, there are really only four things that you can negotiate in an NHL standard player contract that really matter. If it's not an ELC, or it's not an over 35 contract, or if the player is not coming off a ton of injuries. So for the situation that William Nylander is in, basically what it is is number of years, uh, the money and how it's distributed, the signing bonuses in terms of how much money in a given year is paid on July 1st as opposed to paying salary during the year, and a no-movement-slash-no-trade clause with any limits on it. Uh, once the player is eligible, which Elander wouldn't be until year six of a deal. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that sounds like it's, it's a lot, and it's certainly there's a lot to discuss there. But there's really not that many moving parts in an NHL standard player contract like this. Like, compare this to most commercial contracts, and this is like child's play in terms of drafting, because it's all set by the CBA. All the language is in there. So really, you're just moving around very particular numbers. It's kind of mad libs. Yeah, basically. And I would be surprised if the Leafs weren't willing to give Nylander pretty much whatever he wants in terms of the signing bonus front because the Leafs have the money and it doesn't matter yeah, to them. It's, it's, it's just a cash flow thing. Yeah. As for a no movement, no trade, again, I wouldn't be super surprised if that were kind of just a given, if they get a six-year deal, like they'll just give him a fairly stringent no-movement clause. Uh, you, you know, maybe they'll want an out to be able to trade into 18s or whatever like that. But again, there's really not that much to discuss here. So when people keep saying they're close, all they can really be talking about is money. And so I keep thinking if they're close, but they're not there yet, it just means that the money numbers are close, but someone still has to move. Like, you can't be making continuous progress here. Mm-hmm. You can just get to another level and then stop. Yeah. So I, I that's my kind of read on why we keep getting these frustrating stop-start leaks from it, where it's just sort of like somebody up or lowered their offer, but then that's it. <laughs> another thing I actually want to discuss, uh, or I'll, I'll just kind of quickly talk about it, is the idea that um, Nylander should be willing to take less because you're in Toronto and you can get more from say endorsements and you can get more from like post career earnings. Just, you know, look at how much Doug Gilmore and Wendell Clark make just for being around attending Leafs games, signing cards, whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a pervasive idea. and something that falls apart a little bit when you look into it deeper. I, for one, I think people overestimate the amount that non superstar players get in endorsements, mm-hmm. right? Like William Nylander is, the fifth most valuable hockey player on his own team in terms of, in terms of endorsements. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. realistically. And, like, putting this kind of to the side, because it, it only matters so much, but William Nylander, in, like, a stage setting, has all the charisma of a dead fish. Oh, my God. He, he He's the worst actor I've, I've ever seen. <laughs> it's actually, like, staggering, because almost all athletes are not that great at this. Almost all hockey players are worse than the average athlete. And William Nylander is far and away the worst Leaf that I've seen. Like, just unbelievably wooden in interviews. Now, I don't mean to give him a hard time about this. By all accounts, he has an actual personality. It just doesn't really... I, like, it's a very weird environment, so I don't blame him at all. Yeah, like, he's, he's by all accounts, like, a really interesting kind of fun guy. And again, you know... Maybe it's easier for him in Swedish and he's less guarded or whatever. From but... what from what I've heard, to be honest, his Swedish is like not that great. Yeah, so I don't even know. So like he's I, I think he's yeah. pretty fine in English. Yeah. So really it just comes down to it's not his thing. Whatever, that's fine. But it also makes him probably less of a bankable star. Yeah. Uh, like his current endorsements right now are like one car shop in like markham or something <laughs> yeah he, 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 i'm sure there are others he but... got a, vo- a volvo like um that's what it was yeah. and it was like one of the first models of its kind or maybe the first in north america which is like okay cool but that's a sixty thousand dollar car neatander's yeah, gonna sign a contract worth tens of millions of dollars a sixty thousand dollar car isn't moving the needle for him one way or the other you could say oh he wouldn't get that deal if he was in carolina okay cool he'd be sixty thousand dollars poorer 
whatever. He, he's going to be... Make... He makes that in two days. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it really... It's just such small potatoes relative to his actual playing career. Right? So yeah. the endorsements, they're just not that huge a deal. And they might not be something he necessarily wants to do or cares about that much. The other thing uh, that I've seen people mention is like the post-playing career earnings, mm. right? Where if you're part of even a decent team in Toronto, you're basically a cult hero here. Forever. Yeah. A couple things and with that. For so, one... So Justin Bourne has raised this. Yes. And it's something he knows about. He got married into a family that has a lot of experience with that. His dad was a four-time cup winner with the Islanders. Yeah, it's his father-in-law, isn't it? Both, actually. Both his father and his father-in-law. Wow, oh, okay. So he knows uh, double. So certainly, like, there is some background from that, but I think that there are a few reasons why that won't necessarily apply to William Nylander in the same way, uh, even if we're so blessed as to win four cups. I cut you off before you were saying it, sorry. Yeah, so, I mean, okay, the, the first... The first reason, um, Nylander is Swedish, to state the obvious. He is not a lock to retire and stay in the Toronto area, which means he has less opportunity to capitalize on these sorts of opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Um, his family, I believe, is in Sweden. Well, his brother's in Rochester or Buffalo. His sister's like a aspiring tennis player, so they're going to be traveling the world, whatever. But it's not like he has long-term roots in Toronto and is going to stay here forever. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, people have to account for time value of money here. So dollars in the future are worth less than dollars today, right? So even if you assume that, you know, 20 years from now, 25 years from now, Nylander can make $500,000 a year just by showing up and going to Leaf events. And that's probably Mm -hmm. an overestimate because like, that's a really, really high estimate. If you assume he makes that for like 20 years or so, even then, if you discount that to today's dollars, that's probably a million dollars or so if you discount it like eight percent so it's like okay cool that that's a lot of money but that's making a lot of really optimistic estimates and even then it's the equivalent of him negotiating for like 250k on his deal per year yeah like it just doesn't move the needle in the same way exactly and just to add a bit of a psychological constraint look when i was 22 I just sort of assumed that, like, the world would end or I would get hit by a bus or something by the time I was 30. Nylander might be right with global warming, to be honest. You know what? Yeah, actually, that may be an increasingly plausible suggestion. But the reality is I don't think that too many young men in their early 20s are all that good at thinking multiple decades into the future. Some of them are. I apologize for what is a stereotype, but, like, I also knew a lot of young guys in their early 20s, um, which you still are, actually. So you have, like, a certain amount of foresight. But listen to my old and ancient aged wisdom that <laughs> we have right now. I'm just saying, I don't think the idea of, well, you're going to be putting an extra 50K as solid income in the bank at 53 years old or something means a lot to a guy who's negotiating for millions right now. Like, is he even thinking on that time scale? I would be surprised. Is the, is the equivalent of like taking a job at a bank because that way you don't get charged service fees? <laughs> like like if it's a lower, lower it's like a lower hey. paying job, but you you know you don't get service fees when you work for a bank. So hey, you you make some money that way. It's like okay, cool. That that is something, but that probably shouldn't be a determining factor in either direction. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also, he's going to play a Scotia Bank Arena. Comes back. So, you know, that's very on brand. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Oh, and there's one other thing that I did want to address very quickly while we do a little tour to Nylander here. Um, last week, I mentioned a conversation that I had on Twitter with a guy named Totally Offside. And he, like, jokingly pointed out, he was like, you called me out on your podcast, man. Like, what the hell? So I just feel like I want to enunciate his point Fairly, because I want I don't want to like represent him. Mm-hmm. So basically, what he was saying is, the Leafs with Nylander have as much leverage right now as they as they're ever going to have, because he's a restricted free agent without arbitration rights. He's quite far from UFA status. Uh, his only real leverage is just to go and play in the KHL, for example. And so this is the time to drive a hard bargain and to drive one for term, because you should lock up the core and you would also be setting 
an unfortunate precedent uh, for the Matthews and Marner deals for you to give in now. So I've already talked enough about my opinions on these issues, but I just wanted to like give him a fair hearing mm-hmm. b- because I I didn't want him to feel like we were going to misrepresent his point. Yeah, so, absolutely. Sorry, T.O. Love you, man. Okay. Uh, so basically, that's a long way of coming around back to the point that we don't know where we're at with Nylander. I accept to say I still think in the end he's going to sign, but again, I thought he was going to sign by a week ago or so, so... Yeah. Okay, Um. so we were... Before we got kind of sidetracked with our tour de Nylander, as you said, we were talking <laughs> about the Matthews injury. How do you think it affects the lineup um, over the next however long he's out for? We are about to become a two-line team. We already that's were in the, some sense. Yeah, that's the thing, is we were a two-line team with, like, Nassim Kadri by himself playing, like, hero ball, to borrow the NBA phrase, while playing with two wingers who have, like, zero hands. Yeah, Nazem Kadri just, like, swimming as hard as he can with, like, an anchor tied to his uh, feet. Yeah, he did uh, kind of a dumb thing last night where he took a boarding penalty. Although, honestly, I think Truba kind of turned into the hit. I'm turning into, like, a homer hit truther where yeah. it's, like, I... I do like the Zap Rooter footage. If you slow it down to one sixteenth speed, you can see that clearly Truba yeah. <laughs> sees his reflection in the glass and turns it to him. It's part of the conspiracy against Nazem Kadri. It was a setup the whole time. There was a second anyway. hitter. <laughs> there was, actually, I think like Wheeler or something did come in after the hit and like knock into the crowd. But uh, yeah, anyway, that said. Nassim Kadri has like quietly been working really hard. Ian Tulloch had an article about this, and I was having like a similar thought line to him uh, before I saw it because he's been really trying his best, and it's kind of been masked by a poor shooting percentage. But mm-hmm. now he's got a couple goals coming, and now it looks like we're going to be putting him up with some wingers. So the decision we have to make now, or Mike Babcock has to make now, is does he reunite the Marlowe? Audrey Marner line from last season, which he did for a stretch last night, and it worked. And last season, and it worked, and last season it worked very well. And then he kind of leaves John Tavares with Zach Hyman and Naz- and sorry and Kasperi Kapanen, mm-hmm. which is a respectable pair of wingers. And like John Tavares has had experience playing more wingers than that, but it's a very New York Islanders line. It's it's bordering on being kind of New York Islanders. It's worryingly New York Islanders. But the other thing is that John Tavares signed here to play with good players to some extent. And Mitch Marner playing with him has been, I think, part of the package. Yeah. And now I'm sure on some level, you know, John Tavares is going to be like, look, I understand right now we're missing Matthews and Nylander. That's two of our top four forwards. There's going to be some crunch. But it, it does involve a pretty radical change of plan. If that's the way you set up the top six, and I think that's what we're going to do for a little while, I think that's still one of the more dangerous top sixes in the NHL. We can still win with that. Mm -hmm. Our forwards are no longer the crushing advantage that they have to be for us to be really good to make up for our defense, but it it should be good enough for us to kind of skate by until we get back to the spring, I hope. Yeah, that that would be kind of the ideal outcome, right? Like, it's... It says a lot about the Leafs forward depth that even without Nylander, they were still very clearly one of the best forward groups in the league. Like, probably, almost certainly not the best at, without Nylander, but certainly top 10 and maybe top 5. Mm-hmm. Without Nylander and Matthews, we're looking at, like, a pretty much an average forward group, I think, maybe a little bit above. Yeah, slightly it, it, above It's really just the top three that is impressive at this point, right? The, the rest are kind of just guys. Although, that said, um, maybe this is how we can talk about Gauthier and the fourth line a little bit like they've been very good by the standards of a fourth line here's the thing about Gauthier so Gauthier has functioned at the level of a fourth line center and I think it's ha- it has to be acknowledged we didn't expect he would have a chance to do that and we didn't think he would mm-hmm. but he has and he's done fine but he's done it in the most Freddy Gauthier way possible which is just like putting a nullification field over the whole ring. Yeah. Where, like, absolutely nothing happens. Which is he fine zero... for your fourth line. It, it, yeah. Good, even. He he gets zero points. That's how many points that he has right now. Although he did have a nice contributing play on one goal 
in the first Winnipeg game, which was the most offensive contribution I've ever seen him make in the NHL, really. But uh, he's working. He's doing his best. He's at the point where the fourth line is not a liability, and he's not producing much. Here's the thing. Ben Smith did approximately this for pretty long stretches, and he got hit on. I'm going to push back on you on this. Ben Smith had, like, he was getting outshot. That's the thing. Ben Smith was a positive expected goals player for a long stretch, though. He finished the season better than Gochi in their relative samples. Sure. I am a Ben Smith trooper. Sure. But, like, the <laughs> expected goals can be a little screwy when you're dealing with, like, fourth line samples. Like, expected goals consider, um, what's it, like, league average finishing rates, usually. Or, in some cases, the finishing rate of the particular player in question. But most of them assume league average finishing rates. But for a fourth line, you're not going to get league average finishing rates. You're going to be lower than that. So, like... No, that's true. But with Gochi, you're going to have a zero finish. <laughs> like, so anything that I think involves finishing rates is actually to the detriment of any argument in favor of Gauthier. The, but... the, the point is, Gauthier has been legitimately... Okay, so I don't, I don't want to say Gauthier necessarily himself has been legitimately good because, you know, you're separating, separating out what a player has done from who he is. And we have mm-hmm. a lot of evidence, like four or five years at this point, that Gauthier, the type of players who produce like Gauthier generally do not produced well in the NHL and in his time in the NHL he's also not really produced well mm-hmm. but over the last over the season really in however many games he's played it's not that many it's like probably seven he has produced good results when he's on the ice he is not hurting the Leafs in any way no and I think that's true and it should be stated fairly one we're probably gonna have to play him now for a while on the fourth line yeah and he has done that at a level of confidence that is Wholly satisfactory. I just think I'm. It helps that he has he, he has decent wingers, right? Like I think Josh Levo yeah. is probably a bit overqualified to be a, a fourth liner. I think he's kind of a third fourth line tweener uh, in terms of effectiveness. Ennis probably the same. Like they're they're decent depth yeah. players. They're not like it's, he's not playing with scrubs. No, he's he's done well. He hasn't had to endure you know like the Matt Martin experience. Although the two of them together, I almost want to see like what would happen if you played like quality Matt Martin along with like our new and improved Frederick Gauthier, because I think they could just, like, actually stop the game. <laughs> like, they could just make nothing happen whatsoever and just play the whole game in the neutral zone between the blue line. But, um, yeah, I think that's gone well. And so I will say I'm not any more worried about him being our fourth-line center for an extended stretch. Yeah. And I think that that is to his credit. Absolutely. And I also think that if he keeps doing this, I said I expected him to kind of get stuck in the AHL and he would have an AHL career for a few years. Mm-hmm. If he keeps doing this, look, you know, he's still 6'5", uh, and he keeps showing up, he might hit a couple hundred games. Like, it's not out of the question now to do that at the NHL level, and if he does that, he'll probably make a couple million dollars. So good for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a good thing for the Leafs. I'll, I'll be happy to be wrong about mm-hmm. Gauthier, but I'm going to need more than seven games before I commit to that yeah i stand by what i said which is that in an ideal world you want a little bit of offense from your fourth line and i still think goche is a zero offense player i think that he is a competent defensive player Mm -hmm. but his offense is at or below like literally the lowest possible nhl level for a center but that said he's been working hard i think that you know, that kind of gets underrated in all this kind of analysis. But, like, I've noticed him really kind of putting in an effort in a way that I didn't always see before. Like, he's kind of bullying his way through guys mm-hmm. and actually using his size more. He didn't always use the yeah. 6'5 uh, to the fullest extent. He just, he, you know, he doesn't have a lot of hands. But, uh, you know, that's been a positive development. So, good for you, Freddie. You're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, Gold star. it's like pulling teeth, uh, trying to get you to compliment Gauthier. I know. I just I don't like how he plays hockey. I'm sorry. He, he, uh, but I like I like this more than the previous version of Gauthier. Like, I have genuinely warmed to him a little bit. Yeah. Just because, you know, there was nowhere to go but up. But um, he's, yeah. he's a spectacularly boring player to watch. I, I yeah. will 100% agree with that. Um, while we're talking about Leafs depth players, uh, Igor Ostaganov. Igor Zaganov has been the pleasant surprise of the season. I think. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's been good, and I think yeah. I, I still see on Twitter people being like, it's happened less so recently, but like I still see people mm-hmm. like, oh man, Oz is is a 
Pylon or Oz, like, whatever. He's very meh. And it's like, okay, sure. Like, he's not, I'm not saying he's, you know, Drew Doughty over here, but he's been, at worst, a competent third-pairing defenseman. Yeah, I think so. And, like, uh, picking him up for free is a great, uh, great bit of business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that he already looks like he's shaping to be one of the more successful of the kind of free candy players. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm entirely pleased with him. You know, I think that I don't think you can really expect him to do too much more than he has mm -hmm. to lock down the third pair right defense job. And so far, so good. Uh, and him with Dermot makes for, as we said, an overqualified third pairing. Yeah. I think we're all hoping Dermot gets to go up soon, but Dermot right now is recovering from an illness. And so we've had the experience of Martin Marincin and Igor Osagana. Which has also been good. That That's the yeah. incredible thing. Like, he, he him with Dermot has been, inc like, stellar, right? With Marincin, he's been pretty good as well. Like, he's above average uh, in terms of shot share. And, I mean, I don't know how much they have to do with this, but the Leafs have generated a lot of goal mouth shots when they're on the ice. I feel that they're kind of just incidental to that. Oh, yeah. Um, you maybe have the steadying presence of Marmar is emboldening the Leafs <laughs> forwards to be more aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I don't think you can underestimate the massive positive psychological effect that comes from sharing the ice. Yeah. But, uh, but like basically, yeah, they've, both been, they've both been good, and it's not just a question of... It's not just a function of Dermot carrying them. Uh, like, I think it's clear yeah. that of those three guys who have been on the Leafs' third pair, Dermot is by far the most talented, who has the most potential to rise up, and is the mm -hmm. most... Is the best player even right now? It's not close, but but the uh, other two the are same time, legitimate, good third pairing defensemen. If that if that, if you can be such a thing, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that like this uh, recent sample of Ozagana has been maybe the most encouraging of any third pair right shooting defenseman that we've had in the past couple of years. Like, Connor Carrick couldn't seem to get an extended run, mm -hmm. and Roman Polak was extensively Roman Polak, almost top to bottom. So, really, it was just, like, kind of some drags there, and so it's nice to have, actually, the third pair that we feel kind of good about. Yeah. I, I'm getting kind of sunny, almost, on that third pair. I feel, like, abnormally good about it. Yeah, I think Ozyganov's a... So far, from what I've seen, he's been a smart player. Like, he... He does little things that maybe the, this is what kind of makes the difference between him and some other guys. But like he he tries to not throw the puck away. Like even on like mm. there's there's some there's some of these plays that really annoy me. When like your team is going for a change and like the defenseman has a puck and he will like dump it out and go for a change himself. It's like just hold the puck, wait for your forwards, give it to one of them, and then go for a change if the team if the other team's not pressuring you, right? Just a little yeah. thing like that. Okay, you just kept possession. Right, Ozaganov does things like that. He he doesn't he he takes care of the puck. He doesn't throw it away. He treasures the puck, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Unlike Zaitsev, and like I think Zaitsev's taken a lot of shit. Some of it deserves. Some of it is kind of just. But he's he's an easy whipping boy. But yeah. that's one of the things that frustrates me the most about Zaitsev is that he's very very willing to give up the puck. I remember once last year I saw him on a three on three, like dump the puck out of his own zone. It's like it's three on three. They're not gonna forecheck you. Yeah, like, like, I, like they're they're tired. They're going for a like regroup. <laughs> Pass to your other players. Like it's three on three. Why are you dumping the puck? And I remember, I remember that vividly because I was so annoyed. Um, because it's a brutal time to concede possession. Yeah, yeah. Like that's and awful. it was with Matthews and Nylander on the ice, right? So like Matthews uh, and Nylander, you want them playing offense. They're not that good at defense, and it's three on three. You can't really get the puck back very easily. No, I mean, th there because was a you, very because you can't take, that ends the game. Yeah, you know? you, because you can't take any risks because, you know, any sort of any sort of risk just gives any sort of mistake just gives them so much room. And I remember that Matthews and Nylander didn't touch the puck for the rest of the overtime. And, they, and then they went off. Yeah. And then I think I think that was against Florida when Jared McCann mm. scored that breakaway to, to win it. I don't remember 100 percent, but I remember being very, very annoyed at Zaitsev for that. I honestly... I'm trying to dial this back it because once you kind of take a dislike to the play of a particular defenseman, I think you can convince yourself that any defenseman in the NHL is bad. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like you'll just start reading it. 
I, I've been really, really low on Nikita's sidestep this season, and I've been really frustrated with him. And that's after a year where I really tried to to keep giving him the benefit of the doubt. I, I mean, th- there are people that I respect, that I like and talk to. I mean, Katya says he still, he still thinks that, you know, he's, he is kind of the whipping boy of Leafs Twitter right now, and that's not always reflective. I just get really frustrated with his decision-making puck Mm -hmm. and as much as the forwards aren't always giving him the help that they should he still does worse with it than seemingly anybody else on the team yeah and at this point i'm just sort of like i don't know that that's going to get better and and i'm really kind of annoyed now he's used in like some tough situations for sure he's relied on a lot but i don't know i'm now officially on the, the train of like I would be looking at him. We unload Nikita's eyes contract. Yeah, I I would as well. It's gotten to the point that I kind of want to see. I want to see Jake away from Zaitsev because I want to mm. assess how much like is is Jake's ability to drive play eroding, and it, like that will inform yeah. whether I want to give him a, a big contract because that's like all of Jake's value basically. Yeah, if Jake isn't driving play, then he turns into what people say he is. Yeah, he turns like... into like Edmonton era Justin Schultz. Yeah. Oh, man. Right? So, Dude. yeah, like I, I, I kind of want to see Jake away from him now to be like, okay, is this just Zaitsev dragging him down and their games don't mesh or whatever? Or, like, is Jake experiencing some age-related declines? Gardner has looked a little better to my eye recently. He's getting I think so too. quite a few points, although the shot numbers still are not great with him and Zaitsev on aggregate. And, again, no. I... I the least uh, we, we've gone over this many times before. We just don't really have the horses. We we can't. There's not a lot of room to experiment unless you want to try Gardner Dermott or something or Gardner Riley. Yeah, like you really have to get kind of revolutionary to blow things up. I don't expect that that's going to happen right now no. while the team is kind of in the hole in terms of forwards. Yeah. Um, unless we start losing and then everything kind of gets on the table. But yeah, I, I mean that last night again. Just bringing it up, they um, they were a little below water, and, and Zaitsev slightly more so than Jake. Although that's that's actually that's not a very big difference at all. But um, yeah, he's looked better to me. I have to acknowledge this as, as part of my quest to be fair. Frederick <laughs> Goche had an eighty-six percent Corsi last night. Yeah, no, th- that line just yeah. randomly. The thing they take like, like such garbage shots, but it's like whatever. Oh, we're yeah. spending time in the other team's zone. I'm not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth. If you're like, if our fourth line is doing like some kind of sixty percent Corsi sort of stuff, nothing else really matters. Yeah, it's just sort of like, well, that's all found money. <laughs> I'm gonna get owned by Freddie Goche. This is gonna be my Waterloo as an analyst. Is that like <laughs> I didn't see the the Freddie Goche train come in into the station. So anyway, but uh, yeah, I think by and large, the defense has given us some stuff to feel good about. I think Ron Hainsey, like people are hating on him on Twitter. And the truth is, I think he's looked like a guy who is being played above his level, a guy who is getting up there in age, but not that bad. His numbers are still ridiculous. That's the, that's the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it makes no sense to me. His, yeah, his I don't even know to believe good. that. Like his, his on-ice yeah. numbers, it, it's, it's bizarre. That, but again, it comes back to the same thing where it's like, we're not in the position to turn down anyone who can play top four minutes. Yeah, and put up like a fifty-five percent. We like we can we even ask how he does it. We just sort of have well, to accept. And them. the like, thing okay. is, like, I've been super cautious about being happy about the Riley Hainsey pair, and even about just Riley's play in general. Riley, I think, has mm-hmm. been good. Um, yeah, he's been very Morgan Riley, right? Which is like he's just just dominant offensively, and he combines with the forwards in such a fun to watch way. He's still awful defensively, but whatever. Like he's he is who he is. He's a net positive. Just l- love him for what he is, I suppose. Right? I, I've yeah. tried to stop getting annoyed with his defense, which is still bad. It's yeah, it's not there. But like the the offense, like every now and then he'll do something brilliant. Now that said, last night I was actually super pissed at Morgan Riley because I watched three plays happen where the Leafs had uh, formation set up in the opposing zone, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple were on power plays, and he was just sort of like. You know what time it is? Time to spike the puck 10 feet in the air and put it in the stand. And it was like, don't do that. You know, one of the he, gr- he still had a good game, though, from what I saw. 
It was just, oh, yeah, no, he still had a perfectly good game. I'm just expressing, like, an extremely nitpicky frustration. Yeah, no, and the I thing wa- is, he, he's, he's been outscoring his issues defensively, which is fine. Like, whether, you know, whether you're, if you're a 60% goals for player, it doesn't really matter if you're a plus 10, I, I'm going to fail doing math here. It doesn't really matter if you're, like, a 6-4 player versus a 3-2 player, right? It's still it's the same. In, in fact, a 6-4 player is probably better. Yeah, from where the Leafs are setting, certainly higher event is generally yeah third, i think but uh... but right now i'm like i still don't know how much to buy into his results because last year we saw pretty much the same thing where he and ron hainsey were like super productive throughout october and then it just like kind of slowly went down like if you chart their their course four percentage or their expected goals percentage it's like starts out great and then it just like slowly declines for the rest of the year yeah right and he's got uh i don't and i don't see why that would necessarily change so i'm hopeful like i think i think if you were doing one month awards riley should be in the top three for the norris really yeah i i don't think there's an argument against him right now he's like he has like 12 points he's a defenseman he is his on ice numbers are great like there's right now there's actually no argument against riley being having had one of the best first months of the season among any defenseman i think just, i don't fair. think it'll continue yeah well i, I mean the, the reality is is that in terms of defenseman points they're going to say okay he was playing with like the hottest forward group so he, in the universe. He still did it. <laughs> That's true. So it's like uh, we we don't like you know give shit to like Yari Curry, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I honestly do believe that Morgan Rowley is like a top tier offense. Oh yeah, player. absolutely. Like I think that's clearly established now. That's uh, that's beyond denying. And so you know what? As long as he outscores his problems, I'm a bit like. This may just be, like, my capacity to only worry about so many things at once when the team is winning. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, look, Gardner Zaitsev worries me as a pairing. Yeah. Matthews is injured. There's an Elander contract extension. And everything else is a minor problem, and I'm not going to allow myself to get upset. <laughs> Pretty much. So. I mean, like, it, like, we just don't know if it'll continue. I really hope it does. Because, I mean, nothing would turn the Leafs into a contender faster than having a legitimate Norse contender on the back end. Yeah. Right. And the test for Riley is to see whether he can do that over the course of an entire season as opposed to one month. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, let's just hope he keeps it going. It, it, it's, it's so bizarre to me. I'm just like kind of not watching and hope and just like, don't look at it. It might disappear. We're, we're, we're right, <laughs> right now. We're Wiley Coyote running off the cliff and we just haven't noticed that we've run run off the cliff yet you know that's how i feel keep your head up yeah just keep keep putting one foot in front of the other hopefully it'll keep going yeah but by and large you know what i i think that this team has done well i think that comeback was heartening if i can be so character based we're in a much better mood right now than we would be if we had lost two nothing yeah absolutely then, you know, I don't like to make too much of a, a big deal about resilience, yeah. but there is such a thing as rolling over and folding, and there's such a thing as putting a fight. Yeah. And to some extent, you know, the puck goes in for you or it doesn't, and, you know, it's possible the Leafs could play well and just not get the bounces and they would have lost anyway. But it was nice to see the team, like, honestly stage a bit of a rally as opposed to just kind of wilting, which would have been the temptation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. it's so it says something about yeah. the team without two of their best players as well. Yeah. And, you know, we've not had that pure, complete superstar forward lineup that we all were dreaming about over the summer all year. Yeah. Like, we we haven't been close to it. And, you know, we've still done pretty well. I think we can still reasonably expect to get it back within a month. So, that's hope. I mean, yeah. Knock on wood with Austin's shoulder. But anyway, so there's my sunshine and positivity. <laughs> that was wildly out of character for us. Like, we had to really, like, <laughs> adjust our perspective on the world to be that optimistic. Yeah, I mean, I think we're naturally just kind of pessimistic people. Uh, I think the Leafs have also conditioned us to that. Right. I mean, we've Toronto been sports. so many times. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, like, the Raptors look amazing right now. I'm, like, super jacked for the Raptors. Because Kawhi is just so good. But I'm still, like, expecting it to all fall apart, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I only follow the Leafs because, like, otherwise I wouldn't sleep or have a job. Yeah. Given how obsessive I mean, I'm, I follow I'm a the grad Leafs. student, so I'm basically there. <laughs> but last year, just 
little Raptors detour. The Raptors were doing well, and I was like, you know what? I've heard this too many times. They're going to lose. And I actually started, like, poking around for, like, why will the Raptors lose? And I actually was able to find out in, like, March what was going to go wrong in terms of, like, you can't beat up on bench units in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. DeMar DeRozan is going to break down into long twos. And LeBron James still exists. Yeah. I mean, look, so look I'm, I'm, I was never as big on DeRozan as a lot of the Raptors fan base. I respect what he did for the organization. He's obviously one of the best Raptors ever. But he's mm. a regular season star, in my opinion. And yeah. it's kind of a shame that in the NBA you can be good for 82 games. Mm-hmm. But falter in the playoffs because of, you know, some faults in your game. And then that kind of defines you. Yeah. Right, and it, it kind of forever marks you as you know. DeRozan's still one of the thirty best people at his job on planet Earth, right? He's better at yeah. basketball than I'll than I'll ever be at anything. Um, and yet it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, and, it and basketball's matter. really unforgiving for that. Oh yeah, because you know, it, it's of... so dependent on the stars, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's 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 brutal. I mean, uh, yeah, I, it, it's it's rough, man. Like I, I I feel for him. He he's doing well in San Antonio. Um, but again, like I, I expect him to do well in the regular season. It's just in the playoffs, it's his game doesn't necessarily translate well to increased scrutiny. Like when, when teams can mm-hmm. really key, on, key in on him and when they can structure themselves so that they match up their best wing defender on him pretty much all the time. And he really struggles with length, like defenders who are long. Mm-hmm. DeMar is, uh, he doesn't have, people jump think of him as like this amazing athlete. And of course, by regular standards, he is. But by NBA standards, like he does not have incredible explosiveness or lateral quickness. He mm. gets open through, like, he has a much better handle than he used to in his career. He's really, really smart about conditioning players and baiting players and just knows how to operate. He's like a very crafty player. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that, that sort of stuff works a bit less well in the playoffs and... Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. Um, that's been our Raptors corner, I suppose. Yeah. So b- before we turn into a basketball podcast, which would actually be kind of funny because I don't know anything about basketball. So <laughs> I would just whistle Dixie for like a solid 90 minutes, whereas I only do it for like half the time now. Yeah. But I do wonder a little bit because this Leafs team, as we've said, is probably going to be defined by the playoffs. Right. And in basketball, we kind of just accept there are certain players who can't handle the adjustment because playoff basketball is so different in hockey we agree playoff hockey is different in a lot of ways but by and large a lot of this stuff about who doesn't show up in the playoffs is just who got the bounces i I mean i will never forget all the people saying it about a veteran it's really hard to suss it out absolutely yeah so you wonder is there a leap who's going to show up or not show up You've heard it a lot about William Nylander, oh, God. who purportedly doesn't show up in the playoffs. Did I rant about this on our last podcast? No, I think I did it on Twitter. Well, then, by God, rip him a new one. Uh, so this narrative <laughs> that William Nylander doesn't show up in the playoffs is, it's the most frustrating thing in the world to me, uh, as someone who is like a huge Nylander fan, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Not because I think his game is like faultless. It's not. And I think there are real criticisms of his play. And I think there's a real argument to be made that he isn't necessarily going to fix the issues with the Matthews line because those issues are mostly defensive and that's not really where Nylander's talents are. Um, But, okay, so first off, if you're going to argue that Nylander disappears in the playoffs, you have to first explain the Washington series where where (laughs) he and Matthews literally fucked up Evgeny Kuznetsov so bad that Barry Trotz had to change his line matching. They destroyed that group. He had, I think, five points in seven games and was like unlucky to not have more. Or not five points. Or it was like, I don't know, either five and six or four and six or something like that. But like, points do not tell the entire story. He, he and Matthews and Hyman dominated mm-hmm. Washington shift after shift after shift after shift. It was ridiculous. They were going at it. And this was in their rookie years against the President's Trophy cha- uh, winners. Right? Yeah. Like, I vividly remember everyone being like, holy crap, that, that line is absolutely messing people up. And they were. So like... First up, so Nylander performed incredibly well there. That's that's Exhibit A. Um, mm. Exhibit B is Boston. He had, I think, four points in seven games. That's one more point, or two more points, actually, than Matthews had. Yeah. He, Matthews, I, you know. like, 
I think the criticism of Matthews during the playoffs was kind of overblown too. But if you look literally beyond points, and I ranted about this with regards to contract comparables last week, right? Like literally just look a little bit beyond raw points. We have other things. Look at how the team is carrying play when they're on the ice. Look at, I don't know, shot attempts, expected goals. Look at transitions, microstats, literally anything besides raw points. And you'll see that Nylander was pretty decent against Boston. I wouldn't say it was his best performance ever. It definitely wasn't. But he was one of few Leafs who got more shot attempts against Boston than Boston did against him. And it's not like he was being heavily sheltered either. He He was played with Matthews the entire time. It's not like... Boston's like, oh, yeah, throw out Matt Grizzlick against them. <laughs> right? Like, they're playing high-end competition there, and they were good. Yeah, like, it, and Boston it, is top to bottom a great possession team, or at least they were last. Absolutely, and they, I think they still are this year, too. It's just, it's, they weren't getting the bounces, more or less, right? But you mm-hmm. see this narrativized into, like, oh, man, Nylander was really, he never went into the corners. Like, he doesn't go into the corners anyways. Like, that's just, that's his game. He, like, not every single player has to do that. And, like, you could say, okay, sure, that's a criticism of him. Like, he, he doesn't forecheck as hard as Zach Hyman. Sure, Zach Hyman doesn't pass as well as William Nylander. Wait, what? Yeah, like, <laughs> like Nylander does so many things that are good. That, and you're going to, like, bitch at him for not getting down and dirty all the time. You want him with the puck. The job yeah. of him on his line, the job of him, his job on the line is to get the puck and do stuff with it. Yeah. He, he was good at doing that. Again, I don't think his play was faultless by any stretch. But I think it's just so simplistic to look at points and nothing else. You miss so much of what actually goes on, right? Points matter. They, they really do for forwards especially because, mm-hmm. you know, they're signifying that you're getting goals. But in a small sample in the playoffs, like, let's be a little smarter. And, and yeah. I also I see it contrasted with Mitch Marner a lot, who was dominant in the playoffs against Boston. He absolutely was. He was he was really good. Um, people forget that against Washington, he was not actually that good. He had the same amount of points as Dean Ender, I believe. But mm. I believe a few of them were on the power play, um, w- which matters, of course. But it's not the same as dominating it through even strength. And his line had the lowest uh, shot share of any line on the Leafs and lowest goal share too. Uh, in the series, yeah, against and it was Washington. explained away because he was supposed to have Bono, right? This... And you know, I believe that he did, but it's like there's just such an issue in terms of who gets benefit of the doubt and how much it's allowed. Yeah, like last night there was a play. Um, Marner was going into the corner, and he probably could have gotten to the puck first, like he seemed like it, and he slowed up. I suspect because he figured he was going in against a defenseman who was much bigger than he is. And I think he was conscious that if he got there first, he was going to get crunched. Yeah, and that's fine. And, I want him making those yeah. business decisions because I don't want Marner getting crunched. And, like, these guys are smart players. They know where to be. They know how to maximize their skill set. Like, Marner doesn't need to dig around for those pucks because if the puck squirts loose and he's on the periphery, he's talented enough to come away with it anyways. Like, yeah, it, it's, like, you just have to accept that, like, there is a certain style of game. Yeah. And look, the Leafs aren't a super physical team. No, and not at all. You know, that's the trade-off we make. We're fast. Kasperi Kapanen basically said last night, yeah, like, we don't do that. We just try and go out and win. And they did. They went out and won last night, and they were the better team. It sucks, and I'm sure there's going to be some chatter now that uh, Matthews has gotten hurt, and they say, oh, someone was supposed to stop that. God knows how. <laughs> it's hockey, man. It's a contact sport. Like, you can threaten to punch Prevent people in clean the face shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder hits when he has the puck. Yeah, like, like what okay. are you going to do about that? It just, it just happens. Yeah, so, you know, by and large, in terms of, like, particular play styles, I think you just have to accept it. In terms of, like, showing up in the playoffs, the only thing I'll note is that the teams you play in the playoffs are better. Yeah. And they have more time to watch video of you specifically than they do during the regular season, and so they'll work at it. I think the Bruins were keying on Matthews and, like, trying to give him a little bit less space to do his little three-shot movement thing that is so nice. Like, I just think that they were getting on him a little bit quicker. But I don't think they were getting on him I don't a bit think... quicker that made him shoot 3% or something. No. I, I, like, I think that there was a little bit of that, but by and large, it's variance. Yeah. And he wasn't getting as much zone time as he would have. And, like, that was kind of an issue against Boston, especially the first few games. It's kind of forgotten that the Leafs looked, like, pretty good. 
for like stretches throughout the middle of that series, even if I think they were outplayed on the whole. They were outplayed on the whole. I mean, so I remember, I remember mentioning this in a in a comment on PPP. It's like, yeah, I mean, the Leafs were kind of outplayed by Boston. And someone's like, yeah, but I mean, after the first two games, it was even. I'm like, yes, but for the first two games were part of the series. <laughs> it wasn't like two exhibitions. Did we cancel those? Like, I think it's only fair that we drop those as exhibitions. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, mean it, yes, the Leafs were better after the first two games, but yeah, they, they were dog shit in the first two games. Yeah, that was all. This came out with like a wet fart. That was brutal. It was really, really and, bad. And, yeah, but, uh, you know, I don't think that that's anything inherent. No. I, like, I just think that the Leafs are capable of being a playoff team when uh, when they're all well and healthy, and by and large, they should be able to manage. Now, they're like, again, the thing about this team is, as we've said, Great offense, poor defense. And sometimes they look really, really kind of hapless. Yeah. Like they just don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And I, I I, keep thinking, okay, every team looks like this to some extent. But certainly the disparity between how good you can look and how bad you can look is kind of remarkable. Yeah. With the Leafs. Absolutely. All that said, I think we can survive um, the next couple of weeks, which is... Uh, what we have to focus on. Like, if we go through the next couple weeks and we win as many games as we lose until we get Matthews back, you might consider that a victory. Like, that's probably enough to keep us kind of trucking along for pace for a second in the Atlantic or whatever. Or a little bit less. And, you know, maybe we just accept that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't have a particularly light schedule coming up, which is annoying. Like, we have the Flames, Stars, uh, Penguins, Golden Knights, who look amazing. Um, Devils, <laughs> Bruins, the Kings suck, but so we, we should do that. But then that's the Western road trip, the King Sharks Ducks road trip. That always... the only thing I'll say is that the Golden Knights look amazing, except in the record. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. But like, I don't know. I, I've been watching them because I've been. I don't know. I'm just interested in that team. They, they look good. They're a good team. They? They're a legitimately good team. Fuck. Yeah, the... <laughs> I'm just like, I've been calling them to stop being good for like a year and a half now, and I just keep getting owned. The the thing is, like, <laughs> Marcheseau Carlson Smith is legitimately an elite first line. Like, it, it, it's, it, you know, in all those Twitter polls, like, oh, who's the best first line in the league? It like doesn't get mentioned often enough. And like mm-hmm. on talent, you would think, no, that's not, that's like a mediocre to below average first line. But the mm-hmm. results they get are just consistently like amazing. So yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just going to have to take the L on that one. Hopefully the Leafs don't, but uh, yeah. So, so, you know, all we can do is kind of tunnel through the Atlantic is kind of shaping more or less how we thought it, we may have an opportunity to discuss this at greater length in a couple of weeks, but I just want to note now that, we might have to accept that Montreal is going to be kind of good. Yeah, and I think you and I both kind of said this at the start of the year, where it's like, they're a shooting percentage. They're like a normal shooting percentage away from being a really annoying team. Yeah, well, I just remember thinking, okay, they have no good offensive center. Yeah. And well, that's well, going to be the end of them. I guess Kotkaniemi might already be that. Yeah, uh, and you know what? I thought he would be good. I didn't think he would be good this quickly. Yeah. And Max Domi has fit in well for them. And, you know, now they're... Right now, there are 53% shots team, mm-hmm. where it's like, as long as they don't get some marine by goaltending and shooting percentage, that's good. Yeah. That's perfectly that's good. That's good. probably playoff team good, for the wild card at least. And so, mm-hmm. it, it really yeah. Is, it's the shooting percentage that might come down if, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm, I guess, looking for positive signs from the Leafs fan perspective. Like, I, I still don't totally buy their their shooting percentage. They have Carey Price, and I, like I guess in a sense, um, this might not be the best. This might not be great for them, to be honest. Uh, like have, have being successful now because like the Price contract, regardless of how good he is this year, I don't think he's going to age. I don't. I don't think he's going to defy every single aging curve we have, and mm. like maintain this for however long. Weber is still old and injured, yeah. and who knows how he'll be. They do have some young prospects, but like. I think they could really benefit from a one more high-end player that they get through the draft. Yeah, they might not get that now. Um, Kakanyemi looks good. Nick Suzuki, Nick Suzuki looks like he'll be a good player. Ryan Paling looks interesting. They have some talent, but yeah, like uh, the shooting percentage is the thing that I think will potentially come down, and that might hurt them this season, but help them long term. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, and at the same time, in terms of, like, the schedule that they're on, because of the price and Weber contract, is, like, what kind of long-term yeah, are you looking at? It, it's, it's weird. You know? It's weird. Like, it, it, their, their team is still bafflingly constructed. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, change that. And actually, what if I, the most important position were the one we neglected the most? I, but, I'm uh, looking at uh, their their threat on hockey biz, which is, like, you can consider threat as, like, a very simplistic expected goals model. just accounts for shot location. And mm. they're, like, slightly below average. Like, they're better than average defensively and worse than average offensively in a way that becomes mm. that makes them slightly below average on the whole but they have better than average right. goaltending and so that can that can help them a lot yes so and you know price looks real and this is what goaltending is now at this point price looks real for the moment Bobrovsky who we all thought was very good I thought he was like playing like the best goalie in the world for a couple consecutive seasons yeah no Sergei Bobrovsky is but and I don't know what to do anymore like, just goaltending is hard to fathom. Yeah, yeah, it re- so, really, really is. Yeah, but I guess the, the thing to come around on with the Leafs in the end is more good than bad. Taking two games against Winnipeg any way you slice it and outplaying them while doing so mm-hmm. is an achievement. And that's going to be clouded with the Matthews thing and all this sort of stuff, and it sucks, but that is real. All the people were saying, like, oh, well, they haven't done it against good teams. Well, they've done it against a couple good teams now. Yeah. And so, that's the takeaway. Feel mildly positive about this team. Thank you for listening to Back to <laughs> Do you have anything you want to plug before we go? No. Uh, as usual, I'm going to try to write something. I wrote a bit of a thoughty article mm-hmm. last week. So, if you haven't seen that, you can give that a read. And I'll try and write something this week. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have a piece coming up. It was supposed to be up yesterday, but I got lazy and forgot to do it. Um, sorry, Katya. Uh, it's about where you want to play Nylander when he comes back. It, it, basically, this is a way to turn my hours spent uh, YouTubing William Nylander highlights into something productive. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Yeah, so that's all from us. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our stuff at pensionpenpuppets.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Arvi and at A.T. Fuleman. We'll see you next week. <laughs>